Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past few weeks we've been looking at the book of Acts and we're continuing in that theme. And uh, I think it was two weeks ago we looked at what happened at Pentecost at the time when God gave birth to the church by pouring out his Holy Spirit on a gathering of about 120 or so believers. And in doing that, he transformed their lives. They'd started off, they were fairly timid, retiring people, and he turned them into bold evangelists who rushed out of the building displaying spiritual gifts and engaged with the crowd that had gathered to see what was going on. And then last week we looked at the sermon that Peter preached and how on that day it says 3,000 people or so responded to the gospel. So now we're going to move on into chapter 3. And I think you can see already, having only got two chapters into Acts, there's already been quite a lot going on. And as we move into chapter 3, we start to see what was happening in the early life of the Apostles. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at about 3 in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, 
has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to, what, to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many of us spoken and foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. So let's spend just a little time considering this scene. Here were Peter and John walking through the centre of Jerusalem, a busy city. It was at three in the afternoon and they were on their way to the temple for one of the three main times of prayer during the day. And I don't think they'd have been the only ones. It would have been one of the busiest times of day at the temple entrance. A bit like the entrance to Asda on a Saturday afternoon, or Doncaster Rovers in the hour before the match. Everyone was heading to the temple. And they, as they started to reach the temple, and as they came to that gate that was called Beautiful, here was a wreck of a man that was anything but beautiful himself. He'd been disabled since birth. It was obviously a congenital defect. His legs and his feet were disfigured. They were weak and he was paralysed. He was unable to walk unaided. It says people carried him to his place each day so that he could beg. 
And that's what he was reduced to. He was reduced to begging for his survival. Because the Jews had got to a point where they had neglected what God had commanded them to do. And if you look in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15 verses 4 to 8. You find it says, however, there should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. Moving on to verse 7, it says, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. That's what God had told him to do. And here was this man reduced to begging for his very day-to-day survival. And if you just look back a page or two from where we've been reading in Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 2, that must have been in a real stark contrast to what people were beginning to notice about the church. Because it says in verse 44 of Acts 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So here was this radical new group of believers who were displaying something that the Jews had forgotten should be part of their heritage. And as Peter and John walked towards the temple gate, for some reason he saw them. And he cried out to them, asking for their pity. He sees them coming, in amongst the hundreds, if not thousands, that were going to the temple. But when we read the passage, it seems like even though he'd seen them coming, he wasn't able to look them in the face. He didn't want to look directly at them. Because they actually tell him to. They say, look at me. Give me your attention. And that's because he sat there, ashamed and degraded. He asks them for money. That's what he was used to doing. It's how he survived. But they had none. But you can feel the compassion they had for this poor man. Because what they do is they offer what they had to give. And they gave it freely. They gave him life. They simply did what they'd seen Jesus do over the previous three or four years. They'd probably seen it many a time as they spent time with him. And if you look back in Luke chapter 5 verse 24, Jesus on another occasion had said to someone in a very similar predicament, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And so what did they do? They said, in the name of Jesus, walk. And what we read is that this man was healed. Instantly. 
And it says, taking him by the right hand, they helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. A man that first century medicine couldn't help was walking. To be honest, a man that 21st century medicine probably couldn't help was walking. Because even in these days, when people have defects like that, even if they can be corrected with surgery, it takes months and months of physiotherapy afterwards to get people on their feet. And yet Jesus, and the name of Jesus, could heal him like that. And so, is it any surprise at the man's reaction? He was overcome. He was overcome with what had happened to him. And in fact, he was overcome, but it was such an instant response. He'd been asking for something that would do no more than guarantee his survival to the next day. And suddenly, he was given so much more. So he leapt to his feet. He leapt for joy and he started to praise God. And that was just his emotion welling up inside him. His happiness, his joy and recognition that this was something beyond the ordinary. Can you imagine that scene? I don't think those two apostles could have kept that man quiet if they tried to. He was so delighted because he'd never walked before. Now if you skip forward a page or two, you'll find it says in in chapter 4 verse 22 of Acts that this man was over 40 years old. He had gone 40 years without being able to walk. And suddenly, in an instant, an encounter with God turned that around. Luke was so in awe of what had happened here that he stresses it three times in as many verses. In verses 7 to 9, he talks about the man walking and leaping three times. It wasn't enough for him to say, And the man got to his feet and went off telling everyone about it. No, he got to his feet and he leapt with joy. And he praised God and he went shouting about what had happened. Last week, when we read what Peter preached after Pentecost... We talked about the fact that he said that God had certified Jesus' ministry with signs and wonders. And that's what's happening again here. Do you remember that passage in Acts 2.22 we looked at last week? where, Where Peter said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And now God was carrying on 
doing those very miracles, wonders, and signs. And what he was doing by that was he was showing the integrity of the message that the apostles were preaching. It wasn't enough that Jesus had that integrity. He needed to show that the integrity was also in the gospel of Christ. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. It says, This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's why we can have so much confidence and certainty in the truth and the power of the gospel of Christ. Because God has certified its authenticity with miracles. And we still see those miracles today. Every time we do. Every time we see a healing. Every time we see a miracle. It's God saying to us, this is true. You can believe it. You can have certainty in this. You don't need to doubt. But back to Peter. Peter could see that God was opening another opportunity up. This guy who had been afraid and timid before Pentecost, suddenly sees he's got another opportunity to preach to a crowd. Because suddenly the people are coming running to find out what's going on. He's still filled with the boldness that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so again he preaches the gospel. And he does it with this man who has been healed, stood next to him as a witness. He doesn't actually say it, but he could have said, and here's the proof of what I'm saying. So what does he preach? He's obviously aware he's got a mainly Jewish audience. He's outside the gates of their temple. And so he starts off by preaching that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has glorified his servant Jesus. And he does something that he did just after Pentecost. Again he labours the point and the contrast between what we did and what God did. He says to the crowd, you handed him over. You disowned him. You killed him. But God glorified him. God raised him from the dead. And then he says again, we, the apostles, are witnesses of his death and resurrection. It's not something you'd have to believe in without any proof. There are witnesses. We're stood here amongst you. He's quick to point out that the healing has come from Jesus, not from men. 
This wasn't a matter of some new form of medicine. It wasn't some clever trick. This was something that Jesus had done. He's keen that the glory should go to the right place. He stresses that God did this to bring about fulfilment of his prophetic word. And that in fact, because of that, Jesus is going to be glorified despite whatever attempts are made to destroy him. And then finally, he says, so repent. Repent in order that you can receive forgiveness. And he stresses that God's purpose is to bless all people. He points out, Jesus was one of their own. Jesus was the man who many of the prophets had spoken about. And he tells them what a privilege they have in having the opportunity to be amongst the first to turn to Christ. And the responsibility they have to show others the way. Now when I wrote this, when I, um, when I planned this talk, I put on the preaching summary a title for it. And uh, it left Eve a bit confused. And she's probably sat there now thinking, I still don't understand where the title came from. The title for this morning was The Triumphant Indicative. Okay. It comes from a quote. Gresham Maycomb says, Christianity begins with the triumphant indicative. Now most of us, I mean I had to stop and think. I had to go back and look at a couple of things to make sure I understood what that meant. Okay. But basically when we're talking to people, we use a number of different tenses and ways of talking. And we're used to some of them. I mean, you may be more familiar with the imperatives. Go! Sit! That's a good one, isn't it? Works with dogs occasionally. Oh, yeah, sometimes it works with children too. Yeah, yeah. But imperatives where you compel someone to do something. But this sermon isn't based on imperatives. In fact, the one imperative that comes in there is late on when he says, repent. It's based on something else altogether. So the imperatives we're used to, repent, believe, be baptised, be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting, when you look at most other of the world religions, they base, they're based on what man must do. The imperatives. You need to learn. You need to achieve wisdom. You need to be baptised. You need to repent. But Christianity starts somewhere else altogether. It starts with what God has done. And these are the indicatives. It's when you present the truth as fact. Verse 
And that's what Peter is doing here. He starts off by preaching the indicatives. He presents information as fact. He says, you've seen the signs. And they testify to the truth of what we're saying. You've heard of his teaching. You've seen how God blessed Jesus through signs and wonders. And we're witnesses. God has blessed Jesus and sent him to bring salvation to the world. Up until this point, through most of what he preaches, he hasn't told people what to do at all. And actually, that's because we have to recognise that in the first instance, there is nothing we can do to make our peace with God until God does something on our behalf. And we know that was that he sent Jesus to die in our place, that through faith in him, we could come back to God. And so finally, he moves on to an imperative. And he says to these guys, therefore repent. If you look back at that first preach he did in Acts 2, just after Pentecost, it's interesting. He preached the same way. He preached on the imperatives again. And it got to the point where they called out to him and said, tell us, what what must we do to be saved? And then he said, this is what you need to do. You need to look at the wrongs in your life. You need to repent and you need to come before God in faith in Jesus. So much of our evangelism has been driven in the past by use of the commands, the imperatives. You see them in London with hoardings on their body, walking around, saying, repent, because the day of the Lord is at hand. You hear people preaching in the street, repent. And it's true, but before people can get to a point where they understand the need to repent, they have to hear the imperatives. They need to hear what God has already done for them. I think it's interesting that we're seeing as a family of churches more saved at the moment as we take a different approach, as we pray for healing first and preach the gospel second than we've done before. And I think that's because seeing signs and wonders opens the mind to the gospel. When you have seen the truth of what God can do in this day and age, how can you resist the message that follows? What I'm saying is, it's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. They saw a man suffering, dependent on charity for his very survival. They had compassion And they gave him what he needed. The life that only Christ can bring. And as a result, a wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel opened up.
the indicative needs to come before the imperative. The explanation of what God has done needs to come before the challenge. So practically, what does this mean? I think it means that as we engage with others, we need to spend more time just talking about what God has done for us. As a matter of fact, we need to talk about what we've witnessed and what we have experienced before we try and get on to how people can come to salvation. And there's plenty to talk about. We can talk about fact, can't we? God gave Jesus. He paid the price. He took our pain, our guilt and our suffering. He has clothed us in righteousness. He has brought our freedom. He restores us. He heals us. He gives us life. He has promised us that that life will last forever. An eternal life in the fullness with him. He gives us all that freely through his grace. And we're witnesses to it. What are you a witness to? Have you seen a healing? Have you been healed? Have you felt that healing power and restoration at work in your own life? <coughs> Do you talk about it? Do you tell others? Do you say, actually, I've seen a man's leg grow. Because that's what we need to do. We need to spend time stressing the indicatives. And then, we need to recognise our true selfishness and our sin. And then we need to come to repentance and believe in the saving power of Jesus. We need to accept his forgiveness. We need to be committed to become disciples of him. Because actually, if you look at the commission the church is given, at the end of Matthew, it isn't to go and get converts. It's to make disciples. People who will take on a lifetime commitment to learning, to following, and to becoming more like Christ. And then, we need to accept all the blessings and gifts that God lavishes on us. I have a feeling if we talk more openly about some of this stuff, the crowd would gather. The crowd would gather. And when the crowd gathers, we preach Jesus. The crowd might only be one. It might be ten. It might be a hundred. It might be a thousand. 
But if we are faithful witnesses, walking in the power of his Holy Spirit and giving the glory to him, sooner or later a crowd will gather. We need to be full of faith. We need to be expecting the miraculous. And then we need to be opportunistic. When the crowd gathers, we preach Jesus. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be strong in argument. When you look at what Peter said, it was very simple. It was actually very simple. He was talking to a Jewish audience and he put it in terms that they would understand. I'm talking about the same God as you. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm not talking about anybody else. It's our God I'm talking about. This is the one the prophets spoke of. You know the prophets, you've read the prophets. This is the one they foretold. And they said it would be like this. And God has certified it. Because we're seeing the miraculous. God wouldn't do that if this was an evil man. This is the Christ. He used terminology that the Jews would understand and relate to. And that's what we need to do. We need to just talk about these things naturally in our own culture. We need to be like Peter. We need to be bold, full of the Spirit, prepared to preach Jesus, full of faith, expecting the miraculous and very opportunistic. Amen? Amen. What I'd like us to do is actually, we are all witnesses. Is that right? Actually, what are we witnesses of? Let's just say some of them. I've seen the guy's leg grow. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 